Who do you want to be as a leader? What are the blind spots you're missing? If you had a magic wand and you could change anything about your workplace, what would you do with it? These are the kinds of questions we explore on Inspirational Leadership. I'm your host, Kristen Harcourt. I'm a keynote speaker, emotional intelligence coach, and leadership trainer who partners with executives and emerging leaders who want to achieve extraordinary results for themselves and their organizations. You're in the right place if you're ready to cultivate the self-awareness to be the leader you were born to be. Let's go on this journey together. Welcome to Inspirational Leadership. I'm your host, Kristen Harcourt, and I have another special guest for you. Can't wait to introduce you to her. And today's guest is coming from Barbados, somewhere where I like to be all year round, but especially when it's cold here in Toronto, Canada. Um, so maybe now that I'm, as I'm getting my getting to know my guests better, that at some point I'll have somewhere to stay if I decide to head over to Barbados. Absolutely. <laughs> So today I'd like to introduce you to Julie Turney, who is a people champion, HR for HR coach, author, HR disruptor, and host of the HR Sound Off podcast show. Julie helps HR professionals to build their resilience agility while providing a safe space for them to lean in, grow, and thrive. Welcome to the show, Julie. Hi, thank you so much for having me, Kristen. I love it. Uh, I'm so excited. I'm so excited for this conversation. I, Mm -hmm. I love the work that you're doing. Um, I'm, I'm so passionate about HR and HR professionals and the really, really incredibly important work that they do. But I also think there are ways that HR can hold themselves back. And so I'm, I'm really happy to, to get into this. And I think it's a great starting point is you sharing a little bit more of your journey, Julie, and and what got you to this place, especially understanding some of the unique challenges that HR face and, and some of the things that you experienced in terms of burnout before you got to the work you're doing now. Yeah, thank you so much. Um, Yeah, so I've been in HR for over 15 years, and I started my career from the bottom, worked my way up. And it was maybe around the middle of my HR career that I started to ask that question about, you know, where is the HR for HR, because we need some support, like, just knowing that there were things that we could not discuss, you can't discuss with any and everyone. Um, And I think it was my first, maybe my first termination um, that really bugged me. And especially because I felt like it was an unwarranted termination. I felt like the manager could have done more to support the employee before letting them go. And it bothered me that I lost the fight. And it bothered me that I still had to go through this process of letting this person go. And it was the first time that I realized that I really needed another sounding board. And I think for a long time, I vented a lot of my HR stuff at my husband, at my, at my best friend, at my mom. Um, but at the end of the day, they're not, it's not the best place to leave it because when I, when I put it there, then what happens to it? I, I traumatize them. And um, we're all being traumatized together, but we can't help each other. So after, I would say, 2018, 
between 2016 and 2018 is when I experienced my first and second bout of HR burnout in very close succession. As we were moving organizations, um, I was transitioning from one organization to another. Um, the layoff process was very arduous and very painful. Um, just letting people go, but also knowing I was going home too um, was very painful. Um, and then in my second organization, I ended up working with a very interesting leader who didn't really have much respect for HR. And I felt like I was constantly fighting um, to get things done, to get the support. And it just I just got to a space where I was like, you know what? There ha this, this can't be all. There has to be something better. There has to be another way. There has to be a way to lead with my authentic self and there has to be a way for me to be the best HR professional I want to be without having to constantly argue with unreasonable leaders. And so I got to a point during my second bout of HR burnout where I was like, you know what, it's time for me to write that list. You know, the list you write about, dear God, give me a good man. Um, <laughs> not just any man. <laughs> and I think it was like, I had that, you know, dear God moment with, with, with HR, like, is this where I really want to be? And if this is where I want to be, do I think I'm giving my best? Do I think I'm doing my best? What part of this function sits well with me? What part of it doesn't sit well with me? And after I made that list, it became abundantly clear to me what I needed to do. And after having so many conversations with so many HR peers over the years, I knew that there was space for providing support to HR professionals. And after coaching and mentoring so many HR professionals, I felt like this was the right space for me. So in 2019, September 2019, I started this journey of my year of yes. Like I was going to say yes to anything and everything that would allow me to use my voice um, as an HR professional that started with speaking engagements. I, I speak for the Hacking HR Conference. Um, I gave my voice. I started my podcast show, HR Sound Off, talking to amazing HR professionals and just wanting to share the many misconceptions that people have about our profession and demystifying them. And I went from one evolution to the next and then I created my business, HR at Heart. And on opening that, people were like, oh, HR professionals aren't going to come because, you know, they, you know, HR knows it all. They are the coaches. They are the people, people, the people's people, right? So why would they come to you for support? Because I've been there. I know what it's like to be rejected, disrespected. I know what it's like to fight for something and not be able to get it. I know what it's like to climb the corporate ladder and what it takes to get there. And I know what it's like when you're lacking, when you're lacking the support and you're lacking the competencies and the skills and how do you get them? And so I've just been kind of navigating around that through HR at heart, um, but it's not my, my one and only gig. So coaching is one part of it. Um, I also wrote a book. So that's another part of it. My podcast is another part of it. And then I do disrupt HR events in the Caribbean. So that's another part of it as well.
Wow. For the first thing that strikes me, Julie, is you must have a, a you are very efficient because I'm thinking about all the things you have going on with the Disrupt HR, with writing a book, with starting your own business, with doing hacking HR. And, and so I'm sure there must be a lot of efficiencies there. Um, so many different places that I want to go with you, but I'm going to start with the first one that showed up for me with what you said, what, which is around HR leaders asking for help in getting support. Mm-hmm. And as someone who has supported a lot of HR leaders for the same reasons that you have said in that I've done consulting with HR for the last 15 years in a lot of different ways. And Mm -hmm. I kept seeing the same themes over and over again. And what I noticed was this misconception that somehow HR gets to this place and, and they don't need any support because they're coaching others. And I can say very confidently as a coach, I will always work with a coach. Like just because I'm coaching people doesn't mean I somehow get to this place where I no longer need support or development. Yeah. So it's, it's never done. However, what I do notice, and I'm so interested in, in hearing what you have to say in your experience is it feels like there are two different camps. There are the HR leaders who, who they get it. And I can say I've supported those leaders and they've, they've come to me and they recognize it and they embrace it and usually say to me, I can't believe I took this long to do it. I wish I did this so much longer ago in my career, Mm -hmm. but then there's the HR leaders who are not willing to ask for help. And I still believe, and some of you might be listening to this, this podcast today, at some point, there's something that happens that is that seed that get plant, gets planted or a catalyst. Yeah. Maybe something we'll say to them today to welcome them in and will be a catalyst so that they understand you deserve this as uh-huh. much as everybody else. But what do you think, Julie, are some of the barriers from HR leaders asking for that help, whether through the organization or through even themselves doing it? So I remember a quote that I read or I heard a couple years back from Dr. Rick Rigsby that completely answers your question. And he said, ego is the anesthesia that deadens the pain of stupidity. So first and foremost, a lot of HR professionals have ego and they believe that they don't need to go get help or they believe I'm the HR pro, I've been at this for 10, 20, 20 years, I don't need help. And then there are the HR professionals who sit in the camp of, if I go get help, my boss is gonna think that I'm less than, my peers are gonna look at me less than because I've had to go get help. And then there are the HR professionals who go, coaching isn't for me, coaching is for my leaders, coaching is for my employees, it's not for me. I have my degree, I have my master's, I have my doctorate, whatever it is I have that makes me Lord and King over everything and I don't need coaching. And then there are the people who are just ignorant, who don't understand what coaching is they don't take the time to understand what coaching is and they just dismiss it it's almost like I my children when my so when I introduce a new food to my children and they go I don't like that they go have you ever had it before no so how do you know you don't like it it's like that those people (laughs) yes yes yeah 
Yeah. I love how you um, identified those different camps because I think absolutely some people, they don't even know what they don't know. Right. They have this idea and it's funny. Any, anytime I have a conversation with someone who's interested in working with a coach and exploration, the first thing I ask is I'm curious, what do you think coaching is like, what Mm -hmm. do you think happens in a coaching session? Because they haven't necessarily had exposure and understand um, what it's going to look like. Um, but the other thing that I love with what you said there and um, two that I feel that combination in terms of status, education, and a mm-hmm. little bit of that ego that comes in. I mean, I, in my practice, I, I work with leaders who are not just HR leaders in other areas as well. And um, it, it's, it's, I've worked with more and more doctors lately um, who have leadership positions. And, and I love that they recognize like, yeah, I, yeah, I went to medical school and I have all of the technical knowledge, but that doesn't mean from a people perspective that, that I know. And, and with the ones that I find are really ready to go on the journey is they're ready for that self-leadership. They recognize yeah there's always going to be ways that we're getting in our own way, but they can't, sometimes we have our own blinders on and and a coach helps them see that. Yeah. Yeah. I think one of the things that I I totally agree with you. And like, one of the things I always ask is, you know, when I get on that preview call, you know, what do you think, how, how can you see this relationship working? What does coaching look like to you? And then after they've said, whatever they've said, I always say, well, as your coach, I'm not here to give you the answer. I'm not here to help you arrive at the answer, which means I'm going to put you in difficult spaces. I'm going to ask you questions to get you there, but you will always, you have the answers. You always have the answers. I'm just here to help you unlock them. That's all I'm here for. And, and, and the coffee, <laughs> depending on <laughs> that's what I'm here for, right? I'm here to help you untap your potential. And I appreciate an HR professional who, because they are my, my, my sole clients, right? And I appreciate an HR professional who sits and comes to the realization um, that they've had the answer all along. And when they go, oh, wow. So that was what was missing. The only time I may help you come to the answer is I may give you the answer is if you ask me how I'm doing, then I'll tell you how I'm doing. Um, How was my weekend? It was good. That's when I give you the answer. But outside of that, I want you, you to recognize that a true coach helps you arrive at the answer, which means you are going to continue to be tested in, in your capacity, right? Um, I think when people realize that that's what we do, they are more receptive um, to the fact that they're tapping into themselves and they're tapping into your ability to draw those things out of them, um, that the relationship becomes more accepting. Yeah. Yeah. And I think what, what some people um, recognize quickly is that it's a way that they're creating that space in their week that they wouldn't have even created. Right. So even having that hour for someone to ask questions for them to get to those answers, they wouldn't have given themselves the gift of hour on their calendar. But now that they are, it's like, Oh, I just needed space to even be able to think and hear myself. And so what a beautiful gift to give to themselves. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. 
I'm always happy to see people make that investment in themselves. But what I want to see more of is companies making that commitment to help um, their people invest in themselves that way. And I want coaching to be seen more in a more open light. It's not like you get audited, you pay taxes, you don't like it, but you do it because you realize it's going to have some benefit down the road, right? Um, but this is a life change and this is going to help you open your brain, your brain, your heart, your mind, your eyes to other things that you wouldn't have otherwise seen if you hadn't taken the time to take the journey. And so an HR leader who might be listening right now, and, and I'm talking about HR leaders because Julie works with a lot of HR leaders, but it's any leader. So a leader in on this 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 listening to this podcast right now because it doesn't have to be about the organization coming to you and saying, hey, I think it might be beneficial to get a coach. It's you being mm -hmm. able to advocate for yourself. Yes. So I know sometimes with HR, they might have a, a special challenge, a perceived challenge because they believe that they should be, they've gotten to a place where they shouldn't be asking for this. Mm -hmm. um, I firmly believe that the HR should be advocating and have access to a coach, just like any other leader yeah. in the organization should have access to it. But maybe mm -hmm. a leader's listening to this and saying to themselves, yeah, you know what? I get it. I know I should do this for myself, but you know, I'm going to pay for out of pocket. I'm not going to ask the organization, but I want them to say, Oh, after hearing what Julie had to say, I'm going to go ask for it myself in the organization and have them be sponsoring me. What would you say to that leader? So many things. Where do I begin? First of all, I would say you are worthy, right? The same way that you advocate for those benefits to be um, added to other leaders, you are just as worthy to have it for yourself. Now, when you think about the data that you're always working with as a leader, you know that there is a huge benefit on the return of investment for an organization in terms of engaging a coach, right? So think about that return of investment that the organization is going to make as a result of you benefiting from a coaching journey. And if you put that money in yourself, then the company is benefiting from something you've invested in for yourself. And that might be all fine and well. But at the end of the day, if the company is going to truly benefit financially from your return on investment, from you engaging in that coaching program, then shouldn't they pay for that up front? I think they should. I can't see why you would want, I, I can't see why you wouldn't want to advocate for yourself to have that benefit. And I feel like a lot of people, when you think about your EAP programs, um, for HR especially, you want to, you should be including coaching in that, in that piece for yourself. I say to all the HR professionals who are currently looking for jobs and looking to negotiate new contracts, that you should negotiate coaching in your contract because EAP will follow, which will mean therapy will follow, but coaching doesn't seem to sit in that slot. And I want people to start thinking more about having the company make that investment. Why? Because when you are your best you, the company gets more out of you. And so in order for that to happen, you need to make certain commitments. 
and a commitment to coaching is one of those things that I want HR professionals to get more hungry for. I want them to realize it's important for them to have that peace so that when they have those moments, when they go, I really, I need someone in this moment, let me call my coach and get some support and get some feedback. And if it's a trauma, then let me call my therapist. But if it's, you know, in that moment that you're trying to figure something out or something is happening and you need that support, let me call my coach and get that support that I need. So you don't feel like you're alone. And I want to add this other piece, Kristen, if you don't mind, um, which is when it comes, a lot of times I hear this thing. I hear people say, especially HR professionals, they go, well, I've got a mentor and I've got a community. That's great. But when I ask you, what do you talk about in your community with your mentor? A lot of times you're not discussing industry standard. You're, you're just discussing basic stuff. Like you're discussing, you might be discussing work related stuff, but are you discussing those deep, deep, deep seated things that are happening in your space that are causing you worry, that are keeping you up at night? A lot of times you're not. When you're discussing in your community, it's a bragging thing. Oh, we just hired XYZ people. I managed this, I managed this process. We did this transition. You're in there both, you know, bellowing up your chest, bigging up your chest, right? Um, and when you talk to your mentor, you're talking about your professional development, whether that's going to do a course or, you know, those kind of things. You might discuss a little bit about your work relationship, but there might be things you're too embarrassed to talk about. And there are definitely things that you're too embarrassed to talk about with your community that your coach fills that gap. Mm, 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 mm. Such, such, such good insight there. And it, and it, and, and it's brought me back as you were talking about that. That's true. I've had leaders that I've worked with that when they're going to a new company, they say in the negotiation, I'm, I want to work. I want this budget for coaching. And why wouldn't we get to the stage where we're negotiating for ourselves in that way? And, um, I do find, I see this more with women, even more so than men in terms of really negotiating, like you'll see like men's list of the things they're asking for it. And, and a lot of times women will be like, Oh, you know, a couple of things that they might feel like they're really negotiating because they went back with one or two things. Like yeah. why not, why are you not feeling that? And it goes back to the worthiness that you're mm -hmm. not owning your value and mm -hmm. advocating for, um, first of all, what you deserve, but also in order for you to be the best version of yourself and be as effective Mm -hmm. and successful as possible in the role because you have the support you need in order to get through that. Yep. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. I know that's huge. Mm -hmm. Um, I also would love to get your thoughts when it comes to HR and being misperceived. Um, <laughs> I think that can happen. And I, I think there's reasons for that because, uh, I think sometimes the way HR is operating is not necessarily, a way that individuals will feel at within the organization, the employees not may not necessarily feel as supported and they're seeing certain situations where, and I love that you had written in this, um, it felt like 
um, you had written something that was really talking about what your vision for HR, your manifesto, that's what it felt like when you were writing your manifesto. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that you were talking about in the manifesto was we need to stop hiding behind policies and bad leaders. Mm -hmm. And I've seen, I've seen that my, my husband sometimes will be like HR this. I'm like, well, that's a very specific situation. And I understand where that's coming from because he has witnessed that exact sentence that you, that you say, right. Where it's hiding behind policies and bad leaders. So talk to me around Mm. how HR gets misperceived, but also your vision of what you would like HR to aspire towards. Oh, so there are so many misconceptions that people have about HR, that we are the policy police, that we are the the people who hire and fire, and that's all we're good for, you know, that we don't add value, that we're not strategic. Like the, the list of what we are is so inadequate and incapable to do is endless. Now, do I think that that is true? I think there's truth to it in some form or another, um, because I do believe that there are people in our profession who have given that perception, but it's not the reality for the majority. And I always say to people, when you think of sales and marketing, you always hear about this KYC, know your customer. And in order to know your customer, you are built, you have to build that know, like, and trust factor. And that is important for us to build in HR. And a lot of times when I talk to HR professionals or I'm coaching someone in the HR space and I ask them, how often do you walk your floor or your your office building and just talk to the people and get to know them? And I, it still shocks me when I hear people say they don't, they don't have time for that. Well, you got to make time. I spent more time away from my desk than at my desk in my HR career because the people matter to me. I want to know if someone stumped their toe. I want to know if someone's wife is ill. I want to know if someone's mother's passed away. I want to know. And the only way I will know those things is if I stand up and take the time to talk to people. There, yes, there are those HR professionals who are behind the door HR. And those people, to those people, I will say, you need to draw a line in the sand and you can't sit on the fence anymore. The days of sitting behind your desk and just plodding away at work, do not stand. People need more human in HR. So you need to get up and do something with yourself. And if you can't do it, then you need to figure out if HR is still where you need to be. And if it's not, then find a space that will accommodate your behavior and what you would like to do that way. Outside of that, the future of HR is people focused, is people driven. I have a friend, her name is um, Kalila Alokanola. And Kalila calls herself, she's the chief people officer at a company in the US um, called True Colors. And she calls herself an impact architect. That is what an HR professional is. You are creating an impact on every single person that you touch. Cloud Silva says it very well, that every single day you wanna think about how you can ignite the people that you work with. And that's what I think about when I think of HR, when I see HR, when I am being the HR professional that I need to be for the few select companies that I still consult for today. 
I want to make an impact. I need to know all of these people who are in here that they know that they belong, that they understand what their day-to-day tasks are and how each and every task that they have connects to the big picture that we call this thing, uh, that we call a company, this machine we call a company and how we make money, how we make it, how we lose it and that everybody understands that. So they understand the impact of the salary that they get. They won't understand it otherwise. They won't appreciate it otherwise unless we walk around and we get to understand who they are and what they do. HR is not above that. We never were. And for those people who have not experienced that kind of HR, I am so sorry. I'm so sorry. But I know that that is not the majority. (laughs) There are a lot of great HR professionals all over the world who do just what I talked about, create an impact. And we don't hide behind the policy. We're not hiding behind crazy leaders who want to do silly things. Um, We want to do better. We want to see better. And we're able to fight for that and create an impact that everyone, everyone will appreciate. Mm. I really, really love that. Um, I love that title, Impact Impact Architect. It's such a good title. It's uh, and, and you're right. It is about igniting and 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 ultimately, nobody wants to go to work and be disengaged. Like people want to be able to use yeah. their gifts and talents and to contribute to something bigger mm-hmm. than themselves and to be able to be around. Um, leaders that are helping them to grow and stretching mm-hmm. them and challenging them to do things that they didn't yeah. think they were capable of doing. We're, we're all, mm-hmm. we're all looking for that. We're all, yep. we're all wanting that. And so what shows up for me right now, when you say that is, I mean, that's an amazing culture. I love cultures that look like that. An HR leader sometimes is going to have to come and meet the organization where they are yeah. and mm-hmm. usher them in. Yep. Do a so new come version. On, come on, let's go this way. Bring them <laughs> over here and help yep. show them a different way. So there are going to be some HR leaders who are. First of all, I, I think it's important to to note that organizations are in different places on their evolution and their progression yep. in terms of we can think about the the industrial revolution and old school organizations in terms of the, like they haven't really progressed. So I, I'm, I'm going to be conscious of there are different categories, but mm-hmm. I'm thinking of one where there's enough psychological safety within the organization where that leader can start speaking up more. Mm-hmm. Um, what does that look like where HR is coming into a place where trying to usher them in, but there are definitely opportunities for, for change, but they're not used to seeing HR in that light. Yeah, it's, it's, I know I make all of these analogies as it relates to relationships, but it's the, it's the only way I know how, right? Um, I always remember, I don't know if you watch uh, Medea movies. No. Tyler Perry, yes. Tyler Perry had this character called Medea. Yes. And I always remember one movie where he said, you know, um, a lot of times we as women, 
we're always asking, you know, we go, God, give me a good man, give me a good man, give me a good man, because you've had a bad man, and you go, oh, I know what that looks like, I know what a bad man looks like, when, when God gives you a good man, and you don't know what to do with yourself, because you're like, oh, I've never seen good like this, and that's what happens with companies, right, they go, I want a good HR professional, I've, I've seen what bad HR looks like, and I, and the HR professional on the converse side is saying the same thing, give me a good company, give me a good company, and then when they get it, they go, oh, I don't know what to do because I've never had a good company before and I think it's like a catch-22 right um, and in those instances like you said we have to meet each other halfway but also I think to the point of what the future of HR looks like I think the future of HR becomes more coaching um, and that's why they need coaches <laughs> um, the future of HR becomes more coaching so you start to focus on asking people you showing people what life looks like on the other side of this and that's where your research comes in and your development comes in and a lot of times one of the what I would normally do is I'd say to someone especially like for example we're looking at a um an, a new onboard a, way, a new way to onboard employees and we say you know this is what I'm seeing in the market Right now, this is how certain companies are leading their onboarding, whether it's with software or whatever, but they're seeing this high return on investment because people feel more engaged when they're onboarded this way. So is this the way we go forward? And if they go, well, we don't have the capacity, we don't have the money, we don't have the this, we don't have the that, you go, well, so we're gonna leave 15% ROI on the table at this point which is going to cost us less than the software that's what you're is that what I'm hearing is that what I'm understanding and then when you do that they go oh, I'm just saying but the point is you're you're asking the questions in a way that is respectful in a way that is impactful that makes people really understand the dollars and cents of it there's no way you're ever going to get around the fact that leaders only talk money and you you need to be able to speak that speak. And the way you speak it is, this is what I'm seeing. This is the research. This is where the ROI is. This is what, what we want to implement cost, which is less than the ROI that you're going to see within the first six months to one year. Are we going to leave that on the table to sacrifice our, um, our situation, whatever that is, whether it's recruiting, onboarding, succession planning, whatever it is, are we going to leave that 15% on the table um, so that we can stay here where people are not happy and not engaged? Is that what I'm hearing? Is that what I'm understanding? The minute you start to use that kind of language, yeah. you see people start to backpedal. They go, oh, well, maybe we can make this work. Is there a payment plan? Is there something, something, you know, that's, yeah. that's the way we have to start talking to our leaders. Um, and it, it all comes back to relationships because we're building relationships. The minute they see that we are trying to help them with that ROI, out of the conversation, out of the door goes that misconception. Oh, they don't add value. Oh, they don't add money. Oh, they're not strategic. All those things go through the door because now they can see this is what, and if you're consistent, consistency is key. You can be good at one thing, consistently you change the game completely by asking questions a lot of times I hear the problem with my clients when they go well I'm just going to tell them I, I just tell them do this do that 
Now, see the difference between do this, do that versus, so this is what I'm thinking. This is what I'm seeing. This is where we're going. This is what I'd like to propose. Can, can it be done versus we need to do this? You're failing because you're doing this. This don't make sense. The language. So you need to change. My mother always said, it's not what you say, it's how you say it. Yes. Well, and because now it's a co-creation, like now that person feels like they're part of the solution. You're bringing Mm -hmm. them in. Nobody Mm -hmm. wants to have some, it's like, you're the mom and they're the kid. And you're telling the kid, this is what we're going to do. Like get on board or or you're out of here. Right. Like no one's going to feel engaged when it's happening in that way. There was other things I heard you do really well when you were demonstrating like that. Um, You're showing that you're very present and listening to them because you're continuously articulating what you're hearing them saying. And then it's like, so I hear you say you want this. And then, so I'm proposing this and then I'm hearing you saying you don't want this. And then they ask themselves, oh, no, no, I do want this. So it's helping them see the ways that they're actually, because this Mm -hmm. is like you said, it's coaching, you're coaching them because they're actually limiting themselves, but you're Mm -hmm. helping them see Mm -hmm. the way that they're limiting themselves. And then I also thought what you did really well there is you're painting them the vision, you're painting the vision for them of what's possible and showing them financial rewards around what's possible. And I Mm -hmm. think sometimes a couple of the things I heard you happens too often, too much is going in and directing and saying what this is, this is what we're going to do. And there's no getting people, um, you know, understanding and enthused around why yeah. this is such a good idea mm-hmm. and, and asking questions like curiosity as well, because you can't paint the picture as well. If you're not understanding, like you might get the first level, but you need to go level two, level you three were, to get yeah. what's really underneath there and getting at the roots. Then now everybody sees that solution very differently. Exactly. Exactly. That's why I say well, we need to move to a coaching culture. Yeah. But I, and I think, I, and I always wonder what people think back to that question you asked before about like, what is coaching? We work really hard before a session and after a session, especially after you've worked with a client and they certain things have turned up. You've got to research it a little further and you've got to share with them, whether it be a handout, a video, something to help them understand it better Then, as you prepare for the next session and help them build their goals and all those things. It's like there's pre-work, there's afterwork. And that's why my clients always have homework <laughs> because you are, you need to put them in a state of understanding that your evolution as an HR professional, as any kind of professional is going to be in a state of, I need to unlearn this relearn this and upskill this way so that I can give my organization what they really need. But if we are in a state of, I got my master's, it's a blanket cover for everything. I got my degree is a blanket cover for everything and I don't need to keep learning. This will, this will constantly be a problem. And uh, we come from a space of just talking at people instead of talking to people and talking with people Um, is completely different. You change the game when you start talking to people and start talking with people. Yes. It's a huge, it's a huge distinction. Mm -hmm. And that's what relationships really are. Relationships are a two-way dialogue. That's very engaging. 
both parties. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Sometimes like even in my family space and something happens and I'm, and I'm engaging my family or whatever it is, my daughter would always say, mommy, do not HR me. Yeah. Well, I'm glad to know it's not usually, it's not just your household. I'll uh-huh. phone HR me and don't coach me, but the HR, no HR me, don't coach me. Yes. I don't need it. Yes. Keep that for your clients. <laughs> yes. Which what I find quite ironic, Julie, is I could, the times that we've as in a relationship or even with the kids have had the most powerful conversations, the coaching has happened and they had no idea no that idea. the coaching was happening. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> And you walk away. I remember that happened to me once. And my daughter, something my, my daughter and I were talking about, or we were talking about school. My daughter hates school. And we were just having this conversation, very real, honest conversation about how she felt about school. And she prepared a video presentation and everything. And at the end of it, and I just, we had to finish this conversation and I walked away. And I remember hearing her open the door and I went into the kitchen and I remember hear, hearing her open her bedroom door and go, so you just coached me, didn't you? And I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm preparing dinner right now. Those are the moments, right? I live for them. <laughs> I live for those moments too. You're absolutely right. Um, mm-hmm. One of the other things I want to touch on as we get close to wrapping up today's conversation, which I knew it would be difficult with Julie, but that's okay. <laughs> um, so, so such good, such good, such good wisdom. When it comes to burnout and mental health and self-care, I think, you know, all professions, I think that those, those elements are really important, but I think HR can even be more susceptible as you were talking about some of the trauma and things that um, people are getting exposed to on a a, a daily uh, by the hour weekly Mm -hmm. basis and almost just think, well, that's just the way it is. It's part of the job. What do you want to say, what do you want to let people know in terms of um, your thoughts on self-care and mental well-being? Oh, your life has value and your life has worth. You are more than your day to, day, daily job, that nine to five or whatever that is that you're in. You are way more than that. And your self-care, your self-preservation, your peace of mind, they all matter that time that you spent over the last 18 months during covid when we were all locked down and we had no choice but to be home there were things that were happening to you internally in your body that you didn't know what to do with you didn't know how to sit with them or resonate with it because you always had somewhere to go to run to when they were appearing in your brain um, but you had to take the time to deal with them, to process them in some way or the other. And, and to all the people who just took time to heal and did nothing else but watch TV and eat Cheetos, you did something for yourself that you need to continue to do because that's your body's way of telling you that you needed downtime. To the people who were productive and, and did other stuff, like write books, open a business, whatever you did that was you needed that to be able to show you what was possible for you. And I say all of that to say burnout is real. And a lot of times when we burn out, it's because we are so focused on doing a great job um, for an organization that is building its own legacy that at some point will not be you, that you won't be a part of. And 
I think this is the time where you have to ask yourself what your legacy in life will be and where it matters the most. Does it matter with your children and what are you building for them? And if it does matter um, in terms of working in an organization, then what does that look like to the people who you touch every day and how you impact them? And if you've been living your life in this race of, I need to crush others to make it somewhere in the corporate space, I hope that that mindset would have shifted and changed. And if you are a leader, I hope that you would take the opportunity to think about ways that you can work and inspire um, the people who you lead in such a way that they feel like you truly care about them. Um, I feel like humanity got time to rest. We saw, we saw creation shift. We saw waves that we've never seen before, animals we've never seen before, you know, whole entire species coming to life again. And I feel in the human space, we had that opportunity. And I think it's important that we recognize that we take the time that we needed to do what we needed to do, to recognize that our life has value and substance and it matters whether it's whether we're single or we're married and we have children or we have parents or we're all alone in this world we still matter we have value and the world needs to see it don't waste your time sitting behind a desk in a cubicle where you could one day very well just be done with it all and who would have known who would have noticed yeah, I think those words really resonate with me and I think will resonate with everyone listening. Um, sometimes it's about taking a step back and pausing and putting mm-hmm. things in per- into perspective Absolutely. and asking yourself, um, you know, nobody comes to the end of their life and says, I wish I worked more. Mm, no, no. I always remember I'm a very spiritual person and there's a scripture and it's a proverb which says that the day of your death is better than the day of your birth. And that's because when you're born, you haven't created a legacy. You haven't created anything that people could look back and go, this is why I miss you if you die right now. But as you've lived a life and passed away, think about what people want. You would want people to say about you at your funeral. Um, Would you want people to say that you were a workaholic, that you were spineless, that you didn't care, that you were the most annoying antagonistic person to work with? Or do you want people to say like, you touched my life, you made a difference, you gave me value, you made me realize that I had value and worth. That's how I want to live my life. And had not for two bouts of burnout and a near-death experience, would I have felt that way? Maybe not, but they happened to me and I'm going to let them be an example on it. And the last thing I would say is I lost family members during COVID and I will not let their death be in vain. I wouldn't want the death of any person that died during this horrible pandemic to go in vain. Think that you still have life and it has value and it has worth. And think about the things you wanna do to make a difference in this world that you haven't done because of whatever reason they've held you, it's held you back and then go do it. Ah, we're going to leave it right there. Really (laughs) let that land, everyone. Really mic drop. Hear Julie's words and let that land. Julie, where can people learn more about you and your work? 
I live on LinkedIn. Yes. So you can find me on LinkedIn. I think that's the easiest place, but I'm on every social media platform as I am Julie Turney. So if you put in, I am Julie Turney, everything will come up. My Instagram, my Twitter, my TikTok, they'll all come up. (laughs) Thank you so much for being here today, Julie. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. And to everybody, wherever you are in the world, Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. We're sending you tons of love. Bye-bye. Bye. Please remember that meaningful change requires space and grace. Practice self-compassion and become the ripple. As you transform yourself, you transform your workplace and the people around you.